As I was trying to think this morning of, of our title, um, this word um, came to me, wasted potential. What comes to mind when you think of that word, wasted potential? I like how someone, someone, someone put it this way. Wasted potential means that you had some potential or were capable of doing something and has now been wasted or tarnished, ruined or ruined. You ruined your capability of doing something. In other words, there was so much promise for you. There was so much um, potential. There was great things that were going to happen that were expected of you. People saw you or people saw a person or a situation or a group of people and were like, yeah, these guys, they got it made. Great things are going to happen with that person or with those people. And then something happened along the way and, and they ru- it, it was ruined. And that's what we're going to be looking at. That's what we're going to be seeing as we go through this first chapter of Judges. How... The Hebrew nation, the Israelites, had so much going for them. They had so much potential, but it was wasted. They just forgot, or they didn't hold on to God, or, but he had, he, he had a goal for them. He had a prize for them. He told them specifically what was going to happen and what they were supposed to do and yet they failed. So again, that's what we're gonna be looking at this morning. But before I begin reading, before we really get into the word, I wanna share with you three, three things that are important to keep in mind. Firstly, back in Deuteronomy chapter two, three, and 20, God ordered the Israelites to totally destroy the people living in the land that they were to inherit. Here's what God said in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. God said, However, you must not let any living thing survive among the cities of these people the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. You must completely destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, as the Lord your God has commanded you so that they won't teach you to do all the detestable things they do for their gods. And you sin against the Lord your God. Now secondly, no arrangements were made for a successor after Joshua's death. When he received a message from God that he was about to die, Joshua supervised the appointment of the lands to each tribe that each tribe would would possess. However, God's instructions regarding Joshua's arrangements for the future said nothing about a successor. It was therefore the responsibility of each of the 12 tribes to accept the challenge of continuing the holy war against their enemies, occupying the land that remained. And thirdly, keep this in mind. Prior to Joshua's death, he assembled the people and they made a promise to stay faithful to God who had gotten them to that point. This is just a portion of what was said in the last chapter of the book of Joshua. Joshua reminded them, if you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods, he will turn against you, harm you, and completely destroy you. After he has been good to you, no. The people answered Joshua, we will worship the Lord. Joshua then told the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you yourselves have chosen to worship Yahweh. We are witnesses, they said. Then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and offer your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the people said to Joshua, we will worship the Lord our God and obey him. Now, I mention these three because they may help you to better understand the condition of the people at the beginning of this chapter. So that you will see that things didn't always turn out how they, exactly how they expected. 
and the negative effect that it had on them. I also hope that you see the importance of trusting God in God's promises, even when the odds are against you, as well as the consequences that are likely to occur when you fail to follow God's instructions. So let's pray as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's word, for the Lord to speak to us. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you this morning um, for being here, for opening up your word, and for giving it to us, Lord. Lord, at one time we just didn't understand anything that was in here, but when you revealed yourself to us, when we surrendered our lives to you, to us, to you, you've made it known and you've made it clear, Lord. We understand your word, and so now I ask that you speak to us, teach us, Lord through this first chapter of, of Judges. Lord, w may we see the similarities going on there and in our lives. May we learn the lessons that you want to teach us, Lord. Open our eyes to see, Lord. May we have spiritual eyes right now, Lord to see the, your, your truth found in these words. Minister to us now, Lord, and we ask that, that you just open our ears and hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to be beginning in verse 1. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites inquired of the Lord, Who will be the first to fight for us against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have handed the land over to him. Judah said to his brother Simeon, Come with me to my territory and let us fight against the Canaanites. I will also go with you to your ter territory. So Simeon went, went with him. When Judah attacked, the Lord handed the Canaanites and the Perizzites over to them. They struck down 10,000 men in Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, found, fought against him, and struck, him down, struck down the Canaanites and the Perizzites. When Adonai Bezek fled, they pursued him, seized him, and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. God has repaid me for what I have done. They brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. The men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it. They put the city to the sword and set it on fire. Afterward, the men of Judah marched down to fight against the Canaanites who were living in the hill country, the hill country, the Negev, and the Judean foothills. Judea also marched against the Canaanites who were living in Hebron. Hebron was formerly named Kiriath Arba. They struck down Shishai, Aiman, and Tal Talmai, Talmai. From there, they marched against the residents of Debir. Debir was formerly named Kiriath Sefer. Caleb said, whoever strikes down and captures Kiriath Sefer, will give, I will give my daughter Akash, Ak, I'm sorry, Ach, Achsa. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slobber, I'm going <laughs> to... Uh, mess up on these names, but um, Akash, Aksa, I'm sorry, to him his wife. So Oth Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's youngest brother, captured it, and Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him as his wife. When she arrived, she persuaded Oth Othniel to ask her father for a field. As he got off her donkey, Caleb said to her, what do you want? She answered, give me a blessing since you have given me the land in the Negev, give me the springs of water also. So Caleb, Caleb gave her both the upper and lower springs. The descendants of the, of, of Kenite, the descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, had gone up with the men of Judah from the city of Palms to the wilderness of Judah, which was in the Negev in Arad. They went to live among the people. Judah went with his brother Simeon, struck down, struck the Canaanites who were living in Zeph, Zeph, 
Zebath and completely destroyed the town. So they named the town Horma. Judah captured Gaza and his territory, Ashkelon and his territory, and Ekron and his territory. The Lord was with Judah and enabled them to take the possession, to take possession of the hill country. But they could not drive out the people who were living in the valley because those people had iron chariots. Judah gave Hebron to Caleb just as Moses had promised. Then Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak who lived there. And we're going to stop there and I'm going to explain what's been going on here. Chapter 1 of Judges begins by telling us about the death of Joshua, one of the greatest military leaders in conquering the land. The Israelites were leaderless now and were in a critical place where they had to trust God intensely more than ever. The conquest of the land was far from complete by the end of Joshua's life. And without someone to lead them, they had no one but God to turn to for help. Now they could have settled with what they already had but they knew God had so much more in store for them. Now, throughout our lives, we're going to lose important people that have been positive influences and have shaped our lives for the better. Whether it's through death or whether it's they move on, you move on, but eventually, sooner or later, we lose people that have been just a great influence in our life, have taught us a lot, have given us a lot of wisdom. Maybe you know someone, you can think of someone who did that for you. The question is, will you carry on with what that leader taught you and will you pass it along? If you desire the legacy of that person to continue, then take the knowledge and wisdom they gave you and apply it then if possible teach it to others I can think of maybe just a, with a, a couple people that had a great influence in my life who taught me a lot who were who discipled me spent time with me sharing the word and teaching me bringing me up as 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 a as a young Christian and even beyond them, I know one person that I've never met personally but had a great impact in my life and in, in the way I teach was the founder of Calvary Chapel, which is Chuck Smith. I know his teachings taught us a lot, taught a lot of pastors a lot, a lot of people a lot of wisdom, a lot of give, you know, he, there was a lot of knowledge that was passed down. But when he was gone, when he, when, the, when he went to be with the Lord, I mean, a lot of people were just like, okay, what do we do now? Well, one of the important things he passed along was just, if I, I go to be with the Lord, then you guys have to continue. Have to continue with the calling, with what the Lord is doing here with Calvary Chapel. And that's what we want to do is just if someone that has been wise to us or has given us a lot, a lot of wisdom and knowledge, we want to be able to pass this information as well. If they're no longer with us and no longer in this earth, on this earth and with the Lord now, we want to be able to pass this information down and, and, and we have to apply it as well. Before Paul's death, he wrote these words to his young protege, Timothy. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of, of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a good soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the recruiter. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Yes, there is a time to mourn for the loss of someone that meant a lot to you. Just don't stay in that condition more than necessary. 
Honor them by living the life that they wanted you to live. You see, God put that person in your life for a reason. And who knows, the end of their life may be the beginning of yours. Never forget to seek God for strength and guidance during uncertain times. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you and has a purpose for you. He has so much more in store for each and every one of you. He's not done with you. As long as you have breath in your lungs, as long as you're alive, He's not done with you. He still has so much more to do with you. So use the time wisely. Use, use the knowledge that you've been given and pass it along. Just live it. Apply it. Don't just throw it to the side. Leave it in your back pocket. No, just use it. Apply it. And seek God during those uncertain times. So back to our text. In the absence of a human commander, but eager to fulfill the challenge of their great military leader, the Israelites sought guidance directly from Yahweh, their divine commander-in-chief. The people asked the Lord, who will be the first and, to f- and fight for us against the Canaanites who are still living in the land? The fact that the tribes inquired the Lord speaks not only of their early dedication to their divine mission, but also speaks of the freedom of the tribes to operate independently. This was one of those instances where they did the right thing by doing what Joshua would have wanted them to do. They were honoring Joshua and they were applying what they had learned from watching and seeing Joshua. And now, again, they were doing it. The Lord answered the people by saying, Judah is to go. With his answer, Yahweh offers a promise that he will deliver the territory allotted to Judah into their hands. Now, rather than taking the lead immediately by responding to God's command to attack the Canaanites, Judah invites Simeon to join on the expedition. Now, Judah and Simeon were blood brothers. They had the same mother, and that's what connected them both together, and that's why they were always able to work together, work so well together. So Judah invited Simeon, come and fight with us. And Simeon was like, yeah, but will you help us? And Judah, was, Judah essentially makes a promise to assist the smaller tribe in conquering their own allotted territory. So Simeon was like, yeah, let's do this. Let's go fight together. And so they did. With Judah taking the lead, they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites in Bezek by killing 10,000 men and capturing their leader. However, notice their successful victory is credited to none other than the Lord. It was God who, can't, who handed the Canaanites and Perizzites. Otherwise, Judah and Simeon would have been easily defeated. God handed them the victory. It was God who did it. It wasn't them. Then three verses are devoted to telling us about the capture, mutilation, and death of Bezek's political leader. Now, this guy, Adonai Bezek, he either was a governor, a mayor, he was you know, probably a, a minor king, but he had political influence. He was their political leader of this. He was the political leader of the city. <coughs> and as we read, the Israelites severed his thumbs and big toes. And it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon. Back then, it wasn't unusual for this stuff to happen in, in ancient Near East warfare. And I read somewhere saying that they did this so they wouldn't fight another war so that it would disable them so they wouldn't be able to pick up a sword or be able to fight effectively. So they severed his thumbs and his big toes. But Adonai Bezek even admitted 
that he had done the same thing to 70 rival kings. His comment, though, is loaded with irony. On one hand, it reminds us that in the ancient world, everyone, even the pagans, believed in a God. On the other hand, the author employs a Canaanite, the author employs a Canaanite to announce that human beings will account to God for their actions. Adonai Bezek's fate ought to serve as a reminder that justice will eventually be served against those who do evil. If not in the hands of other people, then in the, then in the throne, room, throne room of God. Since I've been alive, actually for the past maybe 10, 15 years, as I've been watching the news, you hear about these famous political leaders that have fallen into the hands of the people. They were once great leaders, untouchable men with great power and wealth. And before you knew it, they were executed, killed by their own people. These were evil men that killed millions of people, made their people suffer, made the world sometimes scared about what they were capable of. But eventually, justice was served. Job 4.8 says, Those who plow injustice and those who sow trouble reap the same. In other words, people will reap what they sow. And Jesus said in Matthew 7.2, For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. As believers, we must be mindful of how we treat and act towards others. Because even though we're forgiven, even though we're saved, and even though we're, we've been washed by the blood of Jesus, we're still going to be held accountable for what we do and how we lived as Christians. Yes, you will still be held accountable. In Hebrews 4.13, it says, No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. Now, verses 8 through 20 tell us how Judah captured Jerusalem, the areas around Negev, Hebron, Debir, Gaza, Eshkelon, and Ekron. Judges 1.12 brings to light what is clear in verse 17, namely that Caleb is the driving force behind these Judahite attacks in the hill country. But nevertheless, as impressive as Judah's victory was, it was incomplete. They could not defeat the nations that held the latest military technology chariots of iron. Now regarding this verse, well-known preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, an unconverted person is here who has been thinking of coming to Christ, but he says, I cannot give up all my sins. One of them I must retain. All the rest can leave, but that one is invincible, for it has chariots of iron. I cannot drive it out. That sin must die or you will perish by it. Depend upon it, depend upon it, that sin which, you, which would save you from slaughter will slaughter you. Now Judah did have the potential to defeat these nations, but it appears they couldn't because their trust in God had diminished. Exodus 14 and, 11, and Joshua 11 were past examples of how chariots were no problem for God's people when they trusted in God. They had defeated some of these nations that had chariots, but now it became an issue. Now it became a problem. Now considering the past victories, it may be possible that Judah began to trust in their own strength than that of God's. 
So this defeat was not, was also a sobering reminder that the largest and strongest tribe of Israel was not invincible. While verses 8 and 20 tell us of a mostly successful military campaign of conquest in the south, in verse 21 the tone changes and becomes increasingly pessimistic. Back in verse 8, we read read that Judah had fought against Jerusalem and captured it. The problem was that the people that were living in Jerusalem, the Jebusites, were never driven out. They beat the city. They captured, I mean, they captured it, but the people weren't removed. They weren't driven out. They weren't kicked out of Jerusalem. They remained there. You see, all the tribe of Benjamin had to do was to go into the city and take over what was already theirs. But they didn't. And the Jebusites remained there. So up until the time of the writer of the book of Judges, this Benjamite failure had enduring ramifications on that tribe, but also on the royal house of Saul. It was just a big headache the whole entire time. Now looking at these first 21 verses of chapter 1, here are some lessons we learn from the victories and defeats of these southern tribes. As a child of God, he has a specific plan and purpose for your life. When he reveals it to you, go and do it. He will be with you the entire way, no matter how long it takes to accomplish that purpose. He will be with you the entire way. There may be times when he feels like, when it may feel like he's not there with you, but he's there. He's guiding you, he's leading you. He's, he's, and sometimes he's, he's maybe telling you, you know what, go ahead and take a few steps. I'm right behind you. But he's there the entire time. And we must remember it because, again, it may take a lifetime to accomplish his will and purpose, but he's with us the entire way. If God hasn't revealed his purpose to you yet, continue to wait patiently for him, or continue to patiently follow him as he develops your character and gives you the tools needed to accomplish his will. You see, Caleb was just an anonymous soldier in Judah's army until God knew he was ready to be a military leader. So wherever you are in your walk, remain in him and allow him to use you as his instrument of righteousness. In his perfect timing, God will reveal to you what you are called to do. Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. And the third lesson we can learn, as you go out and fulfill his plan and purpose, again, trust in him the entire way. Don't be intimidated by the enemy forces that look bigger and stronger than you. Because there comes a time when the world just seems huge. And you're like, you're going to look around and say, look at all the enemies around me. I'm just little old me. What am I going to do? And during those times, you have to remember that God has given you victory. All you have to do is just take it. He's with you. He won't abandon you. He's made these certain promises to you. You just have to take it and remember it and march on. Don't be intimidated by those enemy forces. God said in Deuteronomy 31.6, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Continue into that calling, into that purpose that he's given you. 
whether it's just encouraging people, whether it's praying for people, whether it's giving to the church. We've all been given different gifts and a different calling and a different purpose. But don't give up. As hard as it is, continue in it. Keep marching. Keep fighting. So now that we've read about some of the events that took place among the southern tribes, let's now look north and read about what's going on up there. So continue on in verse 22. Judges chapter 1, verse 22. The house of Joseph also attacked Bethel, and the, and the Lord was with them. They sent spies to Bethel. The town was formerly named Luz. The spies saw a man coming out of the town and said to him, Please show us how to get into town, and we will treat you well. When he showed them the way into the town, they put the town to the sword and released the man and his entire family. Then the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a town, and named it Luz. That is its name to this day. Like the southern tribes, the account of the northern tribes of Israel begins on a positive note with success in the of the house of Joseph. Now when we speak of the house of Joseph here, it speaks also of Ephraim and Manasseh, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. Well, their success in their victory at Bethel was so because Yahweh's presence was with them. In verses 24 to 26, the author provides details of an event that took place in Bethel between Joseph's spies and a man who was coming out of the town. These spies seem to use events surrounding Rahab and the conquering of Jericho as a pattern by requesting this man's help and offering a reward for his assistance. Now, again, I'm speaking here of a story that's in Joshua where the spies went out to Jericho and Rahab assisted them so they can defeat the people there. And they, all these spies were doing was just using that as an example. And their prom, what was their promise to this man? Well, once the city had, had been taken, this man and his family would be permitted to leave and build his own city and continue his life as a Hittite. When it comes to this world, the New Testament is clear that Christians ought to avoid compromising their faith by not becoming a part of the culture that opposes Christ. This doesn't mean, however, that we ought to look and treat, look and, or treat everyone in the world as our enemies. This story is a good example of how God can absolutely use unbelievers to help us when we're in need. Let me, let me ask you, if you were in a situation where you were in dire need of food and water, now this can be, I'm just using this as an example, can be, you can use it for any example, but you were in dire need to feed yourself, your family, would you avoid asking a Muslim down the street would you avoid asking that person that from a different denomination that's, you know, maybe has a, a relief organization or a food pantry, would you avoid asking them because they're of a different faith than you? Or what if you found yourself in a situation when I can think of, the best one I can think of is you're, you're stuck in the rain, you're, your car broke down and you're five miles from home and you're walking in the rain in the dark and all of a sudden a car pulls up and in that car you notice there are two homosexual men or women. Would you accept a ride from them or would you deny it? Would you reject it? Would you be like, no, no thanks, You're, you guys are, you guys are living a weird lifestyle that I'm not, I don't support, so no thanks, I'd rather rock in, walk in the rain. Would you really do that? I mean, I, I'm, 
again, I'm, I'm thinking that there are some people that would, and it shocks me that people would treat other, as Christians, they would treat other people this way. God's, again, God loves these people. And we ought to love them in the same way. But yes, I believe God has a capacity to send the unlikeliest people to assist and bless us. When he does, we ought to view it as such and not be so quick to reject the person or the people it's coming from. Like this man who came out of the town to help the spies, God may bring a person to you in your time of need so that when you give them, so that you will give them the words that will rescue them from eternal destruction. So be open to show love, compassion, and mercy to anyone who comes your way. In the New, in the new Living Translation, Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. I call these divine appointments. You never know what the Lord is going to do when he brings these people into your life. If you're, even if you have to reach out and get some help, you never know what he's going to do through you to these people. Whether it's someone from a different faith or someone who lives a different lifestyle than you, don't be so quick to reject. You know, there comes a time when, again, you have to say, I, I can't be a part of this. But it doesn't mean that you're supposed to treat them as enemies. And God may use these people to help you, but then he may use you to, to just bring words of that, the, the gospel to them and thereby saving them from eternal destruction. And God is wonderful in that way. And these are divine appointments and use them, take advantage of them. Now a quick bref brief reference to the success of the house of jo Joseph concludes the account of the northern tribes at the end of verse 35. But in between these two long lists, between these two is a long list of failures as the northern tribes struggle to take possession of their allotted territories. As we're about to read next, let's finish off this, this chapter. At that time, Manasseh failed to take possession of Beth Shehan and its villages or Tanakh and its villages, or the residents of Dor and its villages, or the residents of Iblium and its villages, or the residents of Megiddo and its villages. The Canaanites refused to leave this land. When Israel became stronger, they made the Canaanites serve as forced labor, but never drove them out completely. At that time, Ephraim failed to drive out the Canaanites who were living in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived among them in Gezer. Zebulun failed to drive out the residents of Kitron or the residents of Nahalol. So the Canaanites lived among them and served as forced labor. Asher failed to drive out the residents of Akko or Sidon or Alab. Again, I'm going to slaughter these names, but Aksib, Hel Helba, Afik, or Rehob. The Asherites lived among the Canaanites who were living in the land because they failed to drive them out. Nephtali did not drive out the residents of Beth Shemesh or the residents of Beth Anath. They lived among the Canaanites who were living in the land. But the residents of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath served as their forced labor. The Amorites forced the Danites into the hill country and did not allow them to go down into the valley. The Amorites refused to leave. Harhiris, Ajalon, and Shal Shalbim. When the house of Joseph got the upper hand, the Amorites were made to serve as forced labor. The, ter the territory the Amorites extended from the ascent of Ak Akrabim, that is from Selah upward. The failure 
of the northern tribes of Manasseh, Ephraim, Zebulun, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan to take full possession of their allotted territories and drive out the Canaanites are described here. Additionally, a negative tone is set by the repetition of two phrases. X tribe, and you can just enter one of the tribes here that were mentioned, failed to drive out. That's one of the phrases. The second phrase is either the Canaanites or the Amorites lived among them. You see, Manasseh's failure is summarized by enlisting a series of cities that were unable to defeat, that they were unable to defeat and conquer. But once the tribe became strong enough to assert themselves against and over the Canaanites, instead of destroying them and pushing them out like they were commanded to do by God, they just enslaved them. The author then mentions the failures of the tribes of Ephraim, Zebulun, Asher, and Naphtali to defeat and drive out their enemies. Instead, they all compromised by allowing them to live freely among them or enslaving them. The failures of the northern tribes reach a climax with the struggle of Dan against the Amorites. As we read, as we read, the local Amorites forced the Danites into the hill country and did not allow them to go into the valley. This was the first time that we see the people of God being pushed around by their enemies. But this Amorite victory didn't last long. When the house of Joseph, that is Ephraim, increased in strength, they took advantage of the Danite weakness and defeated the Amorites. The tribe of Ephraim took some of Dan's allotted territory and enslaved that nation's population. The final verse of this chapter ends with a description of the border of the Amorites, which, which might be meant to remind us of Israel's failure in its struggle against the Canaanites introduced at the beginning of this chapter. Just like the southern tribes, the northern tribes had the potential to take possession of the land and drive out their enemies, but either they couldn't or they didn't. Back in Exodus 23, God instructed the people what he was going to do for them and what they were supposed to do. At the end of that chapter, and I recommend going back there and reading chap uh, chapter 23 of Exodus because it tells you there what they were supposed to their instructions. But at the end of that chapter, he warned them that he warned them what would happen if they didn't remove their enemies from the land that he was about to give them. God told them in, in Exodus 23:33, they must not remain in your land or else they will make you sin against me. If you worship their gods, it will be a snare for you. The successes and failures of these northern tribes ought to show us what happens when we fail to trust in God's promises and make harmful compromises. Many people, many Christians, have this false belief that, they, that when they come to the Lord, when they become Christians, all their problems will automatically go away. That everything will just fall into place and that nothing but good things will happen and that God will just miraculously pave the way and it will be, everything will be like easy. But the truth is, the Christian life isn't completed until all sin has been conquered and we make, and we make heaven our home. Until then, until that time comes when we come face to face with the Lord, when sin has finally been defeated and we leave these bodies, these corrupted bodies, we must continue to fight and we must win. Now here's how we can do that. Firstly, 
trust in God's promises to be with you and protect you. Remember those promises. Don't lose sight of that. He will be with you and he will protect you wherever you're at, wherever you go, in every area of your life. Secondly, allow God to lead and guide you at all times and at all places. See him, look to him. Don't look to yourself, don't look to your own strength, don't look to your own abilities, don't look to your own wisdom. Look to God's. Have him guide you. Say, Lord, I don't know what's going on here, but I just, I'm following your lead. I know what you're doing and I trust you. I'm just going to follow your lead. Continue to do that. Don't, and, and everywhere you're at. Thirdly, don't compromise your faith and the convictions you hold. See the problem here with these tribes as they started, comp- they started compromising. What was the command of God? To destroy the enemy, to completely destroy them and, or just take over the land and drive out the enemies. But what ended up happening? They started losing and they, were, they just started settling. They were like, okay, well, you guys can just live among us and just hang out with us and... You know, maybe at first they were thinking, they were telling them, you know, we're not going to follow your gods. We're going to separate ourselves. And, you know, but over time. And it is just a matter of time before that compromise started happening. Oh, you're worshiping that that God over there. You're you're doing that. That looks pretty cool. Can I check it out? The next thing you know, they're taking part of it themselves. And then they become so used to it. They start showing their friends and and. They start showing their kids and their kids start showing their kids and, and just it's a downward it's a downward slope. Don't compromise. The Bible here tells us how we ought to live our lives. And we must continue in that. We must not forget. We must hold on to our convictions. Because once we start compromising, it's just going to be easier to to do every single time. Fifthly, learn from your failures by understanding your faults and your weaknesses. You know what makes you fall. You know what makes you stumble. You know those times that you've totally blown it. Understand them and learn from them. Don't make the same mistake. And if you do, Again, get back up and keep going. But you've heard that definition. I mean, you've heard it a million times. What is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. Learn from your mistakes. I know what my faults are. I know my, what my weaknesses are. And I make every effort to stay away from them. As a former alcoholic, I know what my temptations are. I know what leads, what can lead me to, the, to have those temptations. So what I just, I'd rather just stay away from those things. Again, learn from your faults, learn from your mistakes, your weaknesses. And lastly, continually seek to grow in godly wisdom and strength. Grow in wisdom. Ask God to give you knowledge. Read the word, study it, devour it, devour it, memorize it. Let this be your life. This is God's word. God's word for you. He has something in there for you. Everything in there is for you, actually. Learn from it. Learn from the mistakes that have been made already. But grow in wisdom, grow in knowledge. That's how you will, these five things, by following these five things, you will win these battles. You will grow and you will be victorious, but never forget that it's God doing the work. It's God who is leading. It's God who hands the victory to you. 
your life as a, as a Christian will be marked with defeats and victories. But through them all, as I said, God will always be with you, even when he seems he's not. Never forget that ultimately, in Christ, you are already victorious and have become more than conquerors through him who loved you and died for you. The Bible tells us in Romans 8.31, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Now later, in verses 38 and 39, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created things will have power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing will be able to separate you at all. The promise of victory is available to everyone and anyone who believes in Jesus Christ and is freely given to those who trust in him. If you never have and desire to share in that victory, all you've got to do is just be born again. All you've got to do is just accept him into your heart. Surrender your life to him. And if you've never done that, if you've never accepted him, I invite you to do that right now. Wherever you're at, wherever you may be, whether you're listening to this message or watching it online, wherever you're at, just bow your heads and pray the simple prayer in your heart with sincerity. Lord God, forgive me of my sins. I have failed you time and time again. But I realize and I understand that you died on the cross for me to forgive me of my sins. I believe you are Lord. And I believe that you have done this for me and I thank you for that. And so now I accept that forgiveness that only comes from you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me new. Help me to lead a new life walking with you, in you, and through you, Lord or through me. Or thank you for what you did. Thank you for accepting me into your family. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.